Well, good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. All of you, if you have a Bible, would you please turn to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're going to have some fun this morning, right? Let's do it. Uh, Let me catch you up real quickly in case first time here or maybe you've been out the last few weeks and as we drop in here to chapter 3, here's what's going on. Very quick review. The, 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 The book starts in a very dark context. It's the time of the judges. People are doing whatever's right in their own eyes. There's no moral or social order at all. It's a famine, so people are dealing with very desperate times financially. There's a family that leaves God's promised land of Bethlehem and goes to a pagan city called Moab. Elimelech, the husband, dies. Naomi, his wife, her two sons marry Moabite women. Then her sons die. And she's left with these two daughter, daughters-in-law. They have no children, no grandchildren, no lineage, and no hope. Naomi's response, as many of us can respond in times of hopelessness, is despair. She has every reason to think that her future is over. She has no hope at all. Orpah does what other people do in hopelessness. She runs back to Moab to idols, to false gods that will give her comfort. But then there's Ruth. In the midst of what looks like hopelessness, she embraces her future because she has given her life to God. They return back to Bethlehem. It just so happens that the famine is over. It's harvest time. Ruth goes out into the field and she just so happens to meet a man's man by the name of Boaz. He is a non-sweater vest wearing, peppermint latte drinking, cat owning man, right? I told you last week, I have a dog. My dog, true story, is named Boaz because Boaz would have a dog. He is a man's man. And, And Ruth meets him and Boaz is unbelievably gracious to her. And then she returns home with all kinds of grain to Naomi. And that's where we pick up the story now in Ruth chapter 3. If you could stand for the reading of God's Word, let's stand. As we listen to Ruth chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 through verse 11. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man, until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. 
This is God's Word. Would you please pray with me? Father, thanks for this time that we have to, to now learn from your Word. Uh, it, is, it is my prayer that everyone, everyone in this place, would experience today the love of a Redeemer. That is my sincere prayer in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Would you please be seated? Love. It can make you do some dangerous things. Like shutting down one of the busiest interstates in all of America. That's actually what happened just a few months ago in Houston, Texas. A man by the name of Vidal Valadares arranged for a group of friends and some of his family members in eight total vehicles to form a blockade on Houston's busy I-45, right in the middle of traffic, just shuts it down. The reason why he did this is because he wanted to get out of the car, take his girlfriend over, get down on one knee, and ask her to be his wife. Isn't that sweet and psychotic? He said the reason why he wanted to propose this way is he wanted to propose with a romantic view of the city. Talk about romantic, right? Now, now you, maybe you find that romantic. Maybe you find that creative, but the people of Houston did not like it at all. <laughs> Horns were honking. People were yelling. Social media ripped this guy apart. They called him selfish. They called him irresponsible. Oh, yeah, and the police? <laughs> they didn't like it either. He left before the police got there. They tracked him down and charged him with obstruction of a highway. And as he left court, he was interviewed and asked, why? Why in the world would you do this? And here's what he said, quote, I know it was crazy and dangerous, you think, but I was in love. Yes, they're like, uh... And I felt it was worth the risk. Now, he's not the only guy, and he won't be the last, to try to attempt a dangerous marriage proposal. Uh, take, for instance, this guy who put his girlfriend's ring in her milkshake. She didn't see it and swallowed it. The way they found the ring is they went to the hospital to get an x-ray, which revealed where the ring was located. What I loved about the story was that it said it took a box of prunes and high-fiber cereal, you know where this one's going, to get the ring back. Sometimes love stinks. Right, so, that's a good one. That's a good one right there. Or what about this guy who took his girlfriend up in an airplane, started acting like the controls weren't working, and she panics. She's like freaking out, and he says, get the emergency manual and read it. And when she did, it was a written proposal. Or this guy who probably wins the award for the craziest proposal of all. Ladies and gentlemen. Quick announcement, if I may. My beautiful girlfriend, Brooke, and I have been together for a while now. Four years, baby. Four, who's counting, right? It's, uh, <laughs> I think it's about time I ask her a very important question. Bobby the ring, please. 
that crazy or what? Are you kidding me? It's all fun and games till you miss. I guess you could say he's fallen for her. That's funny right there. If you don't think that's funny, you get up and leave right now because it's only going to get worse, I assure you. Love will make you do some dangerous things. And most of us have probably heard some strange marriage proposals. I bet there's some good stories even here today. But there are some proposals that go to a different level. They're more than just strange. They, they get to the level of being dangerous or risky. And that's exactly what we see in Ruth chapter 3. This is, Ruth 3 is one of the strangest, most dangerous wedding proposals, marriage proposals in all the Bible. Ruth doesn't take a traditional approach. Doesn't put an ad in the Bethlehem Times. Doesn't create a profile on jewishmingle.com. <laughs> Moabite widow seeks rich Jewish man. Likes long walks in barley fields. <laughs> Romantic meals over roasted grain. Must want children and deal with psychotic, crazy mother-in-laws, Right? She doesn't do that. She doesn't create that profile. She does what is one of the most dangerous and risky plans there is. Verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, before we dive into what actually takes place here, I cannot help but stop and just note this. Is anybody noticed a difference between Naomi? Do you see a difference in her now in chapter 3 than what we saw in chapter 1? She's totally different. She has a different perspective on life. Back in chapter 1, she's Eeyore, right? Everything's sad, Everything's no future. Go home. Go back to Moab. Let's just quit. And, and, and I give her a break. She has experienced some significant suffering. But now in chapter 3, there's a jump in her step. There's an excitement in her. She's ready to play matchmaker. All of a sudden, she sees a future. And Naomi her hope, which is what my prayer is for us in this series, is her hope is being restored. Uh, the, the icy, frozen heart of hopelessness has been melted and thawed by God's kindness through the grace of a Redeemer. When Ruth brought home that grain, Naomi experiences the kindness of God and that frozen heart begin to thaw. And that's what I'm wanting for us. It, it, it's why I'm pleading with us every I want us to be a people of hope because when you have hope, everything changes. Amen? When you, when you know that your future is defined by God, it changes everything about your life. But sometimes to get that, you have to go through the darkness. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, Not only this, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame 
because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. Hope changes everything. It has for Naomi, and it is also doing it for people in our own faith family. Celebrate and rejoice with me in these testimonies. Someone who wrote me and said they were dealing with a difficulty in their family, a death, a marriage that was struggling and bouts of depression to the point of considering stopping going to church. And they wrote and they said, quote, I don't know what the future holds, but God has given me back a glimmer of hope that God has a great plan for me. Someone in our faith family wrote and said, quote, I have been brought to the bottom of the threshing floor. My family has been torn apart, but Jesus has restored my heart. It has been painful, but I'm confident that God is a God of redemption. I adore my Redeemer. Someone else in our faith family wrote and said, quote, It's amazing how one service can change how I look at the most tragic event of my life, the death of a close family member. My family has experienced a spiritual awakening. God has brought light in the darkness. It's happening, faith family. God is restoring hope. Naomi's who were in chapter one are being brought to chapter three as we see our hope is in God. In fact, Naomi's hope is so renewed. She has a totally different outlook on life. She's willing to step out and take a very big risk. When Ruth comes home with these few weeks' worth of grain, Naomi knows that it's the kindness of God. She is so thankful for the grace, but she knows that it is only a short-term solution. It's only going to last a few weeks. We need a long-term plan. Translation, Ruth, you need a man. And that's the reality in this culture. you got to have a man, so... Naomi puts together what I'm calling Project Boaz, an ancient Near Eastern guide to getting a man. This is going to be fun, right? Project Boaz, an ancient Near Eastern guide to getting a man. Single ladies, take notes. Married ladies, wouldn't hurt you to write down a few notes as well. Here's how to get a man. And this portion of the sermon is sponsored by Russell Stover Chocolates (laughs) and Michael Blah, 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 whatever, right? (laughs) Project Boaz, how to get a man. Take notes. Number one, very important, very important. Make sure he's eligible. It's a really important fact there. Make sure he's eligible. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, has said, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Notice that that's said in verse 2 of chapter 3 as well. Is not Boaz our redeemer? In other words, Naomi knows this. Not only is he rich, not only is he single, more importantly than all that, he is a relative, proving Naomi's probably from West Virginia, right? So... (laughs) You knew I couldn't let that go. 
He's a relative. Now, why is that so important? How many of you have ever heard of that Old Testament law known as the kinsman redeemer? Many of you know, if you know anything about the Ruth, you know we were coming to that. The kinsman redeemer law was this. This is important. Listen up. The brother, or if a man died without children, his brother or closest relative had the obligation and responsibility to take care of that widow to make sure that the family line continued on. Because as we've already discussed a thousand times, family is everything in the ancient Near East. So it's a way to keep lineage and legacy going. Guess what? Boaz is a candidate. He's a relative, so he's eligible. Eligibility is very important. Some of you will remember me sharing about when I was pastoring in Illinois, there was a young man in our church who, he, he noticed this young lady. He'd been watching her for weeks. I mean, just very attractive. You know, he really wanted to ask her out, and he noticed she was always sitting by herself in the service. And so he, he built up the courage. He's like, I've got to go ask her out. Finally, one Sunday, he built up the courage, and he did. He went over, he asked her out on a date, and she said, No. The reason why she said no was not because he was unattractive. It wasn't even because he was rude. The reason was because that attractive lady was my wife. <laughs> There's a reason she's sitting alone, buddy. I'm up here. <laughs> now, when he realized that he just hit on the pastor's wife... He was mortified, as you can imagine. When I found out about it, I forgave him immediately, and I reminded him of that forgiveness every Wednesday when he came over to wash my car, all right? <laughs> Ladies, make sure he's eligible. It's very important. Number two, not only make sure he's eligible, but verse three, wash. It's very spiritually deep here. This is, this, is, this is deep. Doesn't hurt to take a bath. Wash out the pit stains, Ruth, from working in the fields. You don't want to look that way. The Bible says that cleanliness is next to godliness. It's right there in Second Opinions, chapter 4. Or a fortune cookie or something, right? So wash. Not only wash, keep reading, and anoint yourself. That is, put on some perfume. A little Tabasco sauce, maybe a little obsession, maybe a little Moabite madness. It's made with bits of real panther, so you know it's good. It's quite pungent. Oh, yeah. Ooh, it's a formidable scent. It stings the nostrils in a good way. Yeah. Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works Every time. That doesn't make sense. So, <laughs> put on a little perfume. It's good to smell good. Take a bath. Keep reading. Go down or anoint yourself and put on your cloak. That is, put on a nice dress. Come on, let's look good. You talk about your, your tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Naomi is saying, listen, God's absolutely sovereign to provide for you a man. But it's your responsibility to get his attention. And that's what we're going to do. Now, before you think that this is being superficial, the text will make clear that what Boaz is ultimately attracted to is her character. There's no denying that. 
But as theologian Brad Paisley would say, honey, he's still a guy. So wash, put on a dress, put some perfume on, and work on your timing. Next phrase. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. In other words, listen, he's worked hard. It's been a long day. He's enjoying the blessings of God. Let him finish his wings. Let him have a drink. Translation, don't walk in the living room in the middle of the ball game (laughs) wanting to discuss the long-term nature of your relationship. It's not a good time. Men, you with me? Any amens, guys? Like anybody? Come on, I need your help. (laughs) Like, work on your timing. Let Let him have a little food, a little bit of drink. Maybe his team will win, and then you make your move. I have never seen so many women taking notes in one of my sermons as I am this morning. I mean, it's like, come on, pastor, I need this, right? Now, now we get into what is the rated R portion of the sermon. And we're going to enter in because the beauty about preaching through a book is you can't avoid the hard verses. Notice what Naomi says now in verse 4. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. I'm going to let Pastor Roger deal with that next week. But verse (laughs) 5, what in the world is going on? And I got to be honest with you because I, I, I preach the Bible here. I do everything I can to get you emotionally engaged in the text the way a Hebrew reader would be engaged. That's my job to get you in the text. This phrase, uncover his feet, is reflexive in the Hebrew, which means it can also be translated uncover at his feet. And the word for feet, let's just say, doesn't always describe feet. It is a very, that's as far as I'm going, it is a very, very intense verse. And I read about every commentary known to man to make sure I got that verse right. And every one of them would say, whatever you interpret this verse to be, it is absolutely aggressive. And the men in the room are like, I don't think I've ever loved a sermon more than this one. I got to start reading the Old Testament more. This is awesome, baby. What? In the world, there's a reason we don't teach the book of Ruth in our junior high ministry. What in the world does this mean? Now, listen, some of you are uncomfortable, and I'm trying to make you uncomfortable because that's exactly how an Old Testament reader would be. You should be feeling at this point like, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. You see, this is not the inappropriate imagination of your pastor. This is the natural reading of the text. So what does it mean? We'll get there. Just hold on. Notice first how Ruth responds. I don't think I've ever had your attention now more than at this moment. Some of you are just like, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. But let's look at Ruth's response, verse 6. She went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Wow. Talk about your courage. This risky, dangerous plan, Ruth says... All right, I'll do it. 
let's break for just a moment and make a challenging point to us that Ruth is a woman of courage, isn't she? She's willing to take risk and embrace danger. Uh, chapter 1, she doesn't take the easy road home to Moab. What does she do? She goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. Chapter 2, she doesn't sit on the couch eating bonbons and ice cream. She gets out into the field and gleans. Chapter 3, she's presented with a very dangerous plan, and she says, I'm in. Ladies, Ruth is a woman of courage, a woman of deep faith. That's a beautiful, beautiful woman. And men, we can learn from her courage as well, can't we? Say, how do you know that this is courageous? Because here's why this is so risky. Number one, she's going out at night dressed like this. Number two, Boaz may say no and have absolutely no intentions for her at all. Or number three, this is important, the text, the narrator wants you to know that Boaz is a worthy man and Ruth is a worthy woman. They both have a stellar reputation in the community, and she's putting that on the line. Here's what hope does. Are you with me? Right here. Hope frees you to live courageously. When you are trusting God with your future, you will not be paralyzed by fear. But when you know that your future is in God, then what are you afraid of? Show me a Christian that has hope. I'll show you a Christian that doesn't base every decision off of a calculator. Show me a church that has hope, and I'll show you a church that's willing to dream big about the future. Show me a, a person who has hope, and I'll show you somebody who's willing to embrace danger and take on risk because they have faith in God. What shall they say of this faith family if God is for us? Who can be against us? Courage is nothing more than the byproduct of hope in God. It's what Ruth has, and it's what she does. Verse 7, When Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. And when he lied down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down, and at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, you think? And behold, a woman lay at his feet, and he said, what the? I mean, he said, <laughs> who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings, or garment, same word in Hebrew, over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Uh-huh. Now we begin to see what the intent of all this was. That tension that you were feeling a little moment, a few moments ago, now we begin to get that released as we see what Ruth is actually doing right here. Is this illicit? Is this immoral? No. Forward? Crazy? Dangerous? Obvious? Blunt? Absolutely. But not immoral. You say, how do you know? Because of that little phrase, spread your wing, spread your garment over me. What is that? It is a marriage proposal. 
Ruth is saying, Boaz, I want you to be my redeemer. I want you to be my husband. I want you to be my provider. I want you to be my man. Can I prove it to you? Here's why I can prove that this is not immoral, in case you're thinking, uh, am I supposed to like apply this? Right? So you know it's not immoral, it is godly. Number one is this, very important. Ruth uses the same language Boaz used in chapter 2 to describe her relationship with God. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Very important. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Here it is. Under whose wings garment you have come to take refuge. In other words, Ruth uses the language Boaz used to describe her covenant relationship with God. This is not immoral. It is a covenant relationship of marriage. And ladies, you're going to love this. Ruth actually uses Boaz's own words against him. Here's basically what's happening. Ladies, is this not awesome or what? She goes, uh, hey, big boy. Hey, bo hunk. Do you remember back in chapter 2 when you prayed that the Lord would bless me? How about you answer your own prayer? That's awesome! Ladies, you ought to be like, oh, that is so good. Way to go, Ruth. Step up, big boy. You want God to bless me. I want God to bless me through you, through marriage. Here's the second reason why we know this is marriage is because it's the same language God uses to describe his marriage to Israel. Write down in your notes Ezekiel 16 verse 8. Ezekiel 16 verse 8 says this, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Right here, nothing immoral, nothing illicit. It is a wedding, marriage proposal. Do you feel the tension? What's he going to say? It's better than the movies. Ruth's put it out there. How will Bohunk respond? (laughs) Verse 10. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will, I will, I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He said, yes. And why did he say yes? He said, yes, out of love. 
It is the picture of a Redeemer's love. Now, some of you are thinking this. Um, I don't mean to be Debbie Downer, but pastor, it's not love. You've overstepped your um, you know, parameters of this text to say that it's love because you just said a few minutes ago, we'll play back the tape if we need to, that the law required it. Remember the whole kinsman redeemer thing? This isn't love, this is law. Yeah, the law was that the brother or the closest relative was responsible. So what happens when you read verse 12? And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. In other words, Boaz is a candidate, he's a relative, but he's not the closest relative, which means, I love this, Boaz could have said thanks, but no thanks. Bozo the clown over here in chapter 4 is the closest redeemer. You need to go ask him, I'm not interested. Don't you see? He redeems her not out of law, but out of love. And he shows us in doing so what true love really does. Notice, first of all, that love is willing to pay the price. Verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning he will redeem you. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Now, I don't want to spoil chapter 4 that we'll look at here in a few weeks. But Boaz is actually going to make sure that he's the redeemer. right? He is going to do whatever it takes to make sure he ends up as the one that redeems her. In other words, he's willing to do what it takes to provide her redemption. He will go as far as he needs to go to make sure she is redeemed. Because love sacrifices. It pays the price. Notice the second thing, that love is pure. Notice the integrity of verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Here's what I love. Boaz didn't take advantage of the situation. It's purity. It's integrity. It's faithfulness. It's obedience. It honors God. That's what true love does. Jonathan Edwards said, resolved. Never to do any manner of thing in soul or body, but what tends to bring glory to God. I wish I had about 15 minutes to preach a mini-sermon to our culture. A culture that wants the benefits of marriage without the covenant vow of marriage. True love, for God is love. True love is God honoring. It's pure. Here's a third thing, is that love provides. Love provides. Verse 15, and he said, bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. And so she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. She went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Like, tell me the details. I want to know every bit of it. And she told her all the man had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me 
For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Guys, a good note there. It's always important to take care of the mother-in-law. I'm just saying, all right? But here's what I love about Boaz is he's the type of guy that every time you're around him, you leave full. He's the kind of guy that's generous with all of his stuff. You see, I thought about this as I was preparing for this message. I thought, you have to realize that they had just gone through a very intense famine. There'd been scarcity for years. And now the famine has lifted. The harvest has come. This would be a time, wouldn't you want to be stingy? I'm hungry. Mine, 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 right here. But godly people never let scarcity rob them from opportunity. It doesn't matter that they've come through the famine. Boaz is generous every time you're around him. He is the answer to Naomi's prayer in chapter 1 through his generosity. I want every eye right here. Whose answered prayer will you be because of your generosity? There are people all around the world and all around this church who are praying today for needs met. And you may be how God answers that prayer. Don't ever let scarcity rob you from opportunity because love provides. Love gives over and over and over again. Now, what is this a picture of as we wrap this up? What is, what it, I mean, if you're like me, I mean, trust me, as I was preparing for this, I'm like, really? What am I going to do with this? Because we're all about the gospel here, the greatest news in the world, amen? And then it hit me. This is the gospel on the threshing floor. You, you say, how so? Well, in this way, Ruth is pointing to us. She is the foreigner. She's the one who doesn't belong. She's the one who is dirty. She's the enemy of the people of God, a Moabite. She's the one who tries to look good by, by cleaning up the outside and offering up good works so that we can impress God. And yet that won't save you. What saves you is stripping yourself of all your works, uncovering yourself to the point that you are spiritually naked and you lie at the feet of a redeemer and you say, would you redeem me? I, by faith, put my life in your hands. Faith family, you and I are Ruth. We are the one in need desperately of redemption. And Boaz, oh, he's pointing us to the ultimate redeemer, the redeemer of Jesus Christ, because God became a man in the person of Jesus. Hear me, making Jesus the only eligible redeemer. He's the only one that can redeem you. Muhammad can't do it. Buddha can't do it. Your parents can't do it. Your spouse can't do it. Even you can't do it. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the only one. And though he was tempted time and time again, like Boaz was tempted here in Ruth 3, he was obedient to the point of death. 
And out of love, not law, he paid the full price for our redemption on the cross, which is why he can offer to you today not abundant grain, but abundant grace. You won't know love until you know the love of a Redeemer. And there are Ruths all across this place this morning who need to lay at the feet of a Redeemer and say, oh, would you please redeem me? And Jesus will send you out of here full every time. It is the beautiful picture of redeeming love. It's the romance, if you will, of the gospel. Let me give you a few points of application and we're done. Very quickly, number one, I I need you to hear me. Let your story play out. Naomi, right here, Naomi, listen. You're in chapter one. You feel like there's no hope. If you put your hope in God, chapter three is coming. Take it from the emails I read earlier. Chapter three is coming. Let your story play out. Number two is don't be afraid to take risk. Oh, what a word for our faith family. Our hope is in Christ, not comfort. And so we will embrace whatever risk He calls us to because our hope in God. Number three is keep coming back over and over to your Redeemer. Keep coming back to your Redeemer. See, every time you come back to Boaz, He leaves you with grace. Right? That's why, by the way, if you come to this faith family every week, we're going to the Gospel. We're going to the Gospel. Because I want you, even if you come in here empty, to leave full of the grace of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, is experience the love of a Redeemer for the first time. There's some of you here, you have been broken by human love, vows unfulfilled, promises that were broken, and, and human love has left you in shambles. And you need to experience this morning the saving love of Jesus Christ. And here's why I know I can offer that to you. It's because love does dangerous things. I'm not talking about stopping traffic and getting down and proposing. I'm talking about facing the wrath of God for sins on the cross. That's dangerous. But it's exactly what Jesus did for us. Do you know why? So that he could offer the greatest marriage proposal that has ever been offered. Here it is. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The question is, have you said I do? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. There's so much application here from living lives of hope, of risk, of faith to living constantly in the abundant love of a Redeemer. Experiencing that love 
for the first time in a culture that thinks it knows love and yet has missed where true love is found. And that God is in you. And so would you pour down on us your redeeming love. May we experience it afresh and anew. And may we be overwhelmed that we get to be in a covenant relationship with you. What a joy to be your bride. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.